It's time for the chip race. Hello and welcome to the Chip Race, Ireland's weekly poker podcast. I'm your host David Lappin, alongside Darrow Carney, and tonight we're joined by Poker Pro and 2009 IPC runner-up Chris Dowling. We'll bring you news from those Norwegian championships, a roundup of who won what online, as well as a special report from Fergal Nealon on last weekend's Connacht Open. But first, the Irish Live Poker Rankings. Darrow, you've come second in this for the last six years. As predominantly an online guy, that's a staggering record. How important or what level of importance do you place on those sorts of rankings, those sorts of um, year-long leaderboard type of things? Yeah, I think they're a nice additional um, point of interest to poker in that, like, obviously anybody can win one tournament and uh, and, and, and it's great when you do win a tournament, but, you know, there's, there's so much luck involved in one tournament that I think something which rewards consistency over a longer period, like a ranking system, um, is probably a better thing to aspire to and would you use that as a motivation during the year to sort of leave the house more and click buttons less yeah yeah well like last year for example um, it was only about halfway through the year that I realised I was actually quite high on the list and uh, then I used that as a motivation to go out and actually play ranking tournaments because as you know some tournaments count and, and, and others don't so I went and tried to play as many ranking tournaments as I could and that's a good reason to to go out and actually play and meet people as well. And what would be the balance of live to online for you? Uh, well, normally I would play every day almost that I'm at home uh, online. And then I'd look to play maybe outside the house twice a month um, at weekends. And would that you travel a lot for that or are you looking to play the Irish domestic scene? Yeah, probably half and half. Uh, half of them would be like trips to UKIPs or EBTs or over to Vegas for the WSAP uh, in June. And then in one Irish tournament a month as well. I know a lot of guys treat uh, the live scene, uh, particularly when they're from an online background, as their sort of once a month shot. Uh, would you psychologically look at those tournaments and go, OK, well, you know, if I am going to leave the house and make the effort to travel to the UK or somewhere in Europe, I'm at least going to play for a, a, a 2K buy-in or a 5K buy-in or something like no, that? No, I actually take the exact opposite. Uh, because a lot of my online stuff is satellites, um, then th- when I play the bigger buy-in tournaments, it's usually a tournament that I've qualified for seven or eight times anyway. So I... I Essentially, in my mind, I've already made money before I go to the tournament, so I don't feel under, under an enormous pressure uh, when I go out. It's not like it's a big shot for me or anything. And even if I do and go and play a bigger live tournament, um, since most of my earnings come from online, uh, that's where uh, you know that's where the pressure is. Rather than live, is just kind of a diversion from that. And I, I'm as happy playing a hundred quid game in Ireland as I am playing, uh, you know, a UK IPT or an EPT. For me, it's just the experience of playing live. Okay, well, more on that later. Uh, when we'll talk to Irish Live Poker Rankings main man Kieran Cooney, but now to another man who loves his live poker. We're joined on the line by Fergal, Midnight Cowboy Nealon. Fergal, you played the Connect Open last weekend. Tell us all about it. Yeah, well, like, Galway is my favourite place in the world to play cards, you know, especially when the venue is somewhere like the Radisson, it's right in the heart of town, and, you know, it's it, there's a real decency to the, the poker playing community in Galway. They've, they've a great social scene going on, and and, you know, there's some fine players, but they don't take the game too seriously. There's always great banter and slagging. And, you know, there's men that come out and go with the place socially, and they genuinely love the game, which I find very refreshing. You know, it's you get farmers like Frank Dunleavy or the famous James Welch. Like, you just you just meet great guys at the table. Like, I don't know, I think maybe that's why pound for pound Galway punches way above its weight in, in terms of winning, because it's always a fun weekend when you go down there. Who 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 did well in the tournaments this weekend? I know there was a big main event, but there were side events as well. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, the first side event, um, Kieran Cooney, live Irish rankings, Kieran Cooney, somehow shipped the uh, 10k side event from the bar, as, as far as I could see. <laughs> um, he was he was drinking all day, and uh, he, he agreed to a nine-handed deal, I think. Wow! Where he managed to get more than second place. That's impressive. So, so Kieran did well there. Um, I was gone as soon as I heard there was a hyper turbo starting up in a few <laughs> minutes. I think I, I triple bar bluffed my stack off, and and I managed to uh, to to get third place in a, in a hyper turbo on the first night. Um, and, and we um, weren't asking how you did, Fergal. We wanted to know who made the final table. <laughs> All about me. Um, no, but we we had definitely one of the the, the tougher two tables out. Um, and Kieran Fury, I got in a big pot with Kieran Fury basically, and we were both one or two in chips at the time. And um, he took that one down. And Paul Delaney as well was in the shake-up. Now, and, Paul's a big um, online beast. Uh, I guess people would know him better as a star's name, you won alone. Who was, yeah, there was a young lad, Conor O'Driscoll, Hammers they call him, and uh, he positioned on me. I was very, very impressed with Conor. And um, so in the end, anyway, um, I think Paul got the three-handed. Paul went out third. But th- there's a lovely story, actually, as to what happened, heads up. Kieran had more chips than his, uh, I think a man of Chinese origin, Jai Cheng Chen Cheng. Forgive me, Shai, if I've if I've pronounced your name wrong. Yeah, I'm glad you said but, that. Um, but yeah, the two of them were heads up, and uh, and Fury. Now you like this? He's a man after my own heart. He wanted the trophy, <laughs> and he wanted the title. He's a he, he's won many county medals with Carl Finn. He's a fine footballer, apparently. And he said, "Look at," he said, even though he did a decent bit more chips, he said, "Look at." If I get the title and the trophy, well, they pretty much cut it even. I think Kieran got a hundred more, and and Shane ag- agreed to this. And next thing, the you know the photo to do the deal, the photos come out, <laughs> and they put the banners behind, and the trophy comes out. And next thing, our Chinese man says, "Hold on a minute, that's a lovely trophy. I didn't realise there was a trophy. <laughs> it, it, was, it was obviously just lost in translation." So um. So he said, oh, my family, it would mean so much, this trophy. Can I have it? I, I, I can go back to China and show my family. Oh, this is the thing with he's Chinese. He's pulling on the heartstrings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and Kieran looked at him and said, yeah, you know, you can, you can take it. Oh. And, uh, and one, some guy I yeah, got a few drinks said, hold on a minute, that, that trophy was yours in the deal. And Kieran says, look, I have a room full of football medals at home. If it means that much to this guy and it means that much to his family and kids, let him have it. And and an act like that is typical of the the decency you find in in Galway poker. Oh, well, that that is a lovely story, Fergal. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that with us. I, I, I can't let you go without mentioning this the Shark Cage audition tape. Uh, people may have seen it already. I know it's probably going viral as we speak. Um, what what inspired you to make it? Yeah, well, when I, when I saw the the shark cage, and actually when I saw the um, the criteria to get on to the shark cage, it was um, to make a two minute video audition of yourself and your life outside of poker. Now I, I used to be involved in film and video, and as a bit of a videographer, I call it back before I, I discovered poker. So well, it, it shows Fergal because it has real there's real production value to us. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I got on now. It's been 10 years since I was at that gig. So I got on to a Colm Gillen, who's an excellent uh, photographer and videographer here locally. And uh, and we knocked it together, you know. But it, it was just a kind of perfect marriage of of my former career and, and my, my current one, like so. But, I mean, you'd see from the video, we'd, we'd, we'd great crack making it and a lot of Sligo people, pals, uh, local businesses, you know, came in and helped me out. Even, even in Ed O'Carroll's back garden, we we shot the the closing scene, and so um Ah, great stuff. You know, it was it was great. It was great fun making it. So so hopefully now, hopefully. It'll, yeah, well, for for people out there who haven't watched it yet, go check it out on on our website at thechiprace.com. Fergal's been kind enough to let us uh, link to his video. Um, it's it's a sort of three minute vignette of Fergal selling himself as a poker player, someone who wants to take on the big guns at uh in the shark cage this poker stars uh, televised event where the winner gets a million quid and uh, and i guess for from poker stars point of view they want people with a bit of personality fergal went to the trouble to make this really good video about him and cycling and poker and being in sligo um so check that out everyone i for one would absolutely love to see you g- uh, get on that shark cage program and hopefully in some small way we can help this go viral and maybe lobby poker stars to get you on it yeah great thanks a million dave yeah thanks a million yeah before so, um, before you go, Fergal, you did a quick interview. You were sort of our roving reporter there, a little field report in the Radisson uh, in Galway this weekend, and you you did a little interview with James Welsh, one of the great characters from the uh, the poker scene out west. Uh, just just before uh, before you go, what was it like meeting James? And is he indicative of the kind of people you meet? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I kind of just had an idea, you know, when when I heard you were doing this podcast and. And it was an idea I had where, you know, a lot of the, 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 I know you'd be doing a lot of the high profile players and your, your Dermots and you've, you've Chris Dowling on this week. Tom was great last week. But I, I want to kind of get, get guys like James Welch, guys, you know, or like, like Annette O'Carroll or people like this around the country. I want to get their stories and the great characters of the game that don't necessarily get the, the profile, but like they're the, the end of the day, the, the grassroots of poker in this country. You know, yeah, no, I is indicative. Yeah, indicative I agree, Fergal. The, I mean, one of the things that makes Irish poker great is there are so many different characters and people, s- such a broad range of people play, uh, and you partic- mm. particularly see that in the West. I think. Well, listen, we're yeah. gonna, we're going to play that uh, that little tape from you and uh, Jamesy in the in the poker room. So I hope people enjoy that. So I'm here with James Welch from Galway. Man who travels the Irish circuit, and when you see James, you usually see Vinton and Mark Spellman, and maybe Frank Dunleavy not far behind. So, how are you doing, James? I'm not too bad, no. I'm a bit tired, but I'm all right, so I am. And tell us, yeah. how, how did you get into the cards in the first place? We always played cards when we were young. Yeah. And, uh, I always played cards and that's how I got into the cards. I used to always play the ordinary poker, five dollar poker. But then we started playing Texas. Yeah, yeah. And I met the finest of people then Texas. Well, that's something I wanted to ask you about. The scene in Galway seems great crack like. It seems yeah, it's, it's not as busy as it was, but it's still good. Still good. We get around. We have we have a it's our hobby, we enjoy it and and uh, and uh, what can I say, we enjoy our night house. I met a lot of good a lot of good contacts. I got a lot of work out of playing poker. Didn't win much money, but I got a lot of work out of it. Now, come here, you mentioned the work there. I, I hear you're a man that can get things. Whatever you need, we'll get it. Uh, whatever you need. Uh, 
If we don't have it, we'll find it. We'll source it. And Camira, what's any any what's the strangest thing someone's ever requested of you? Uh, well, we sell anything from sex ties to tractors. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Without giving away too much, yeah. what's your kind of philosophy on the game of poker? What's your general style when you sit down at the table? How do you I like to have a laugh. It's very important to have a laugh and a sense of humour. So it is. And some people have a lot of sense of humour, some people don't. But you know, I like to enjoy myself. I like to sit down and maybe talk too much sometimes. And maybe not talk enough other times. But that's the way it is. Uh, well, I, I went by your table last night in the 100 game. This is the day game. Nice, slow, solid structure. I was knocked out after five minutes, of course. And I was on the way over to the Hyper Turbo. I told James Welsh where I was going and there was a wee twinkle in your eye and even though you had a bum starting stack you were down beside me five minutes later. Uh, we like to enjoy ourselves. We like to get around and to meet people. It's very important to meet people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've gone all over Europe playing poker. I've, uh, I didn't get on an airplane for 14, 15 years but then I got into the end of got into the poker and once I realised once I got off the flight there was a game of poker I finally got back up on an airplane that is with the help of uh, with the help of Valium and a few pints uh, <laughs> and Kamira uh, I've met you at UKIPTs across, across yeah we did water. okay we, 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 we got a few quid out of it but not major yet but we, we, we got a few cash outs we covered the expenses and they were happy enough with it so is, is your approach to a game that you're, you're actually more going in to have a good time rather than being concerned about oh, building we, stacks? We go for enjoyment. It's a hobby. It's Some people go fishing, some people go golfing. We go playing poker. Time for Dara Davy with the news. Thank you, Dave. It was a much more muted affair in the news this week. Starting with the Sunday Million, there were two brutally close runs for Gavin O'Rourke and Nick Newport, who finished in 15th and 17th places for $3,700 and $5,000 respectively. Kevin Colleen continued his recent good form online before playing EPT Malta today, finishing in 5th in the bigger 55 for $9,800. And finally on the live scene, the Connacht Open took place at the Blue Spa Hotel in Galway over the weekend. Kieran Fury and Zi Chen Cheng chopped it heads up for 6,000 and 5,900 euros each, while online beast Paul Yuan Alone Delaney took third place for 3,500 euro. Also, congratulations to Vinnie O'Toole, who won two side events during the festival as well. Dara, that was an amazing run from the two boys there, both uh, Nick Newport and Gavinator. Always crushing when you go that deep, isn't it? It's yeah, just... we were discussing it last week from Mount McDonald as well. It's just so close to ridiculous amounts of money and just fell short. It's still good results for the lads, but I'm sure they're both pretty devastated today. Yeah, and then obviously Kevin Collini, he, he, he sort of went into that final table chip leader. I think he played pretty much every hand. Not like that's a bad thing, but he, he played pretty wild and uh, came off the wrong side a variance in a few in a few spots. He definitely got it in good for big pots a few times and didn't didn't hold. Yeah, Kevin's definitely one of my favourite guys to watch. Anyway, I was watching that final table for a good while. <laughs> it's very entertaining. Kerr crash carnage, and he played brilliantly, but got very unlucky in the end. Yeah, and and now you're being very modest because you haven't included in the news report your own success, which might have actually been the biggest score for any Irish person last night. You came uh, second in the eight 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 major. I'm right. Yeah, I don't think anyone cares about that. Was I, I, I care. I care about that. That means you can. Pay Pay the rent this month. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had a good result. Um, you got into quite a unique situation heads up, uh, where it wasn't in fact heads up, it was three-handed, but the third player was sitting out and he was the chip leader going into the final table. So it created total 
kind of a, a really unusual situation as it was totally confusing what the right strategy was. What what, yeah. what did you make of that? Um, it was nearly like a weird ICM spot that we're both trying to blind this guy out, but my opponent got such a big lead on me that he's now pom- pommeling me as well, realising I cannot call. And on 8 at 8 as well, you're not able to deal in any form. So mm. we have to both. And you couldn't have dealt anyway because the other guy wasn't there. Yeah, so I'm having to sit out this guy blinding out of the tournament while trying to maintain my own tournament. And it created this nightmare scenario I think I made a really bad mistake because I'm quite angry about three-handed but it actually worked out as I got lucky I ended up because my opponent was actually trying to keep the blinded guy in I started shoving rather than raising and I maybe should have been limping the button to uh, make sure he got knocked out yeah it's hard to know what the right thing to do is in that spot now we had a, a little chat with Fergal Nealon earlier on who was talking about some of those results I know you weren't at the Connacht Open you were you were at the Norwegians this weekend with me but uh, it sounds like they had a great time lots of fun and antics on the tables as there always is when they when they play poker down the Radisson oh uh, yeah it's amazing crack down there it's definitely one of the more fun events I mean it's only two months ago since the last Galway tournament that's yeah, right I think they've I think Fint and Gavin will definitely be looking to keep running festivals down there. They seem to be very popular. Very, very popular. Successful. All the Dublin lads going down to it. Well, most of them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, thank you very much for that, Dara Davey. Thank you. Chip Race would love to hear from you. Get in touch via Twitter at the Chip Race and find us on Facebook. We're delighted to be joined now by the Irish Live Poker Rankings head honcho and winner of the 100 quid turbo side in Galway last Friday, Kieran Cooney. Kieran, these rankings have had a few incarnations over the years. How long have you been in charge of them? This will be the third year. Now, we spoke about the first year was it was done in a rush. It was only started in February when it became clear no one else was going to do it. Um, the point system put in place was a bit rushed and wasn't thought out properly. So we had to change it then regarding from the following year. And when it came to changing it, like what... Well, I spent, a, I, I spent a good bit of time looking at it towards the end of the year because we, we knew the first year was under rush and the point system was a bit askew. Um, I kind of put that year's results through a few different rankings, i.e. the online rankings, the likes of the full tilt leaderboards or poker stars leaderboards, different things. But it became fairly clear, fairly quick that because of the way the, the lie of the land is in Irish poker now, the Irish Open skewed it far too much no matter what system you took on place. Sure. I, I imagine no matter what system you put through though, Doe came second in that as well. <laughs> there thereabouts, yeah. yeah. There thereabouts. Yeah, I, like I know from previous incarnations that that is that is the huge problem. Uh, the, you know, it can just be whoever does best in the Irish Open every year uh, ends up winning. Yeah. How did you mitigate against that? Well, I put a few different systems in place and ran all the results of the top 40 through just to see how it would pass out to try and give the fairest result um, so I end up uh, basically making up my own point system where we categorise games so no, it, it didn't really matter on buy-ins or numbers nothing was going to skew the system too far because it was a set amount of points for each category so just to decide which games fell into which category then was all we really needed to do so we're after looking at it we're happy enough with the system that's why we kept it on again for 2015 to keep it and you play the all the games yourself. You pretty much play all the tournaments too. How do you find you know the, the the buzz about the Irish rankings? Does it create a bit of excitement? It's building slowly but surely. Yeah, I mean, I found last year and probably this year and going forward. I mean, the prize fund isn't huge. Uh, it's not going to. I mean, who contributes to that? We've all the sponsors involved. Any basically more or less any operator in Ireland. Um, I mean, we've bought, last year. Boils Boil Poker gave the majority of the prize, but we had everyone on board. We had Paddy Power. We had all the live operators like JP Poker. We had um, and they're all kicking in buy-ins to different tournaments. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for the winner for the following year. And who won the prize last year? 
Uh, well, Ivan Tononi was the winner last year, so I mean, he came out with um, nearly seven and a half thousand in buy-ins for this year. So, you know. and who's going to win it this year? Well, <laughs> there's been a fairly quick start by a certain Mr. Paul Carr. Paul Carr is tearing it up at the moment. Yeah. Tearing it up. I mean, going on last year's points, it takes about two and a half thousand to win it, and he's up to nearly eighteen hundred already, and we're only. Yeah, so if he just locks up about three more min caches over the year, he's probably unassailable. He's, he's well, min caches mightn't do it, but a couple of more final tables, and he'll certainly be very, very I remember hard to catch. Ivan made a very st- fast start last year. Was he farther ahead at this point? Or he wasn't, no. Paul, Paul, Paul isn't final table and things. Paul is winning things, which makes a big difference because a lot of the, the, you get a lot more points for winning than coming seventh or eighth. Um, I mean, obviously, final tables help a lot, but a couple of wins on the board is certainly a big advantage at this stage. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us today, Kieran Cooney. That was brilliant. We are joined now in the studio by Dr. Dan Wilson, fresh from his incredible recent run on the online felt, chopping the Sunday 500 for 58k and coming third in the F-Tops Event 2 500 buy-in for 30k. Dan, what's all this success down to? Hi guys. Yeah, glad to be here. Um, I suppose it's down to run good and uh, a bit of... uh Playing well as well, I suppose. You had, <laughs> you had some right, form like. coming into it now because you had the great result in Prague there over Christmas. Yeah, I did well in Prague. Um, won an EPT side, a 1K side for about 56K, which was great. Nice springboard, you know, going back to online over Christmas and then into the new year. I was feeling good. I was felt like I was playing well. And uh, yeah, the whole year just came together really well <laughs> at the end there. And uh, the start of this year has been pretty good too, so... Uh, your background's pretty interesting for a, a poker player. Um, a lot of poker players, we, we get into poker because we don't really have much else. Uh, but you actually come from uh, the world of astrophysics. Um, I have, yeah. Could you tell us a bit about that and, and, and how how and why you transitioned to poker? Yeah, um, well, I started my undergrad in, in astrophysics in Maynooth back in 2008. And uh, I loved it. I've loved it ever since I was young. So it was natural for me to go into it. And um, I continued on, did a PhD. Uh, working in conjunction with the European Space Agency on a project, uh, one of their satellite missions that uh, was basically looking back at uh, the start of time, the Big Bang, radiation from the Big Bang specifically, which was light that's been travelling to us for like 13 billion years and like we're only receiving it now. But we, when we look at it, we can tell everything about makes the way those, the universe looked. Makes those results of yours look a bit insignificant, doesn't it? <laughs> Very, <laughs> <laughs> on the scale of things. <laughs> But yeah, it, it was fascinating stuff, and uh, I loved every minute of it up until the write-up phase. So uh, I was I was glad to get finished up, and I submitted there last February, February year back, and um, all through the PhD, I've been playing poker. So I was probably semi-professional for the last four years, you could say. And um, once I finished up and submitted the PhD, I just started playing full time last February. So, but it's, it's been such an amazing since going full time. You've had such a positive experience. You've had a lot of big results, both live and online. But you're not going to continue playing for the next few months, I believe. You're, you're gonna, you have some other plans. Um, yeah. Well, I will continue playing. Um, just well for the next month, I'm um going to be heading off around Asia, um, with my girlfriend, and then we're going to land in Australia in about uh, a month's time. Uh, around start of May but um, I plan to play while I'm over in Oz just uh, not as much live uh, mostly online for the rest of the year and we're going to spend about six months over there go back around do a bit more of Asia and then uh, come back to Europe after that Yeah I think I think Oz is a pretty uh, bad time zone unfortunately for online um, yeah. I, I played in Manila for a little while and, and it like involved getting up at three o'clock in the morning to, yeah, to well, start. I don't know. I mean, like, I don't plan on playing like that early a schedule. I guess like if you get on at like 7 a.m., you're still looking at 
late red and a lot of the stuff that starts in the evening on European time. So it's not it's not it's and not then really do the bad. Night shift as the yeah, exactly. Shift. You play yeah. into like the that American based stuff like that they have on late at night. But um I don't and really mind that because it'd be done early in the day and then have the evening off. And how long do you plan to be away? Um, until Christmas so okay. it's going to be about six, seven months Well listen stick around for a few more minutes because next we're going to look at the mindset of players who feel like they're not going really deep in MTTs and I know you take a very scientific perspective on this issue Something you hear from a lot of tournament players is that I crossbar a lot I get to the last 10 of a 100 runner field or I, I, I seem to be going deep but not really getting into those top spots where of course all the money is Dara what's your take on that situation? Yeah I get that a lot from guys that come to me for coaching or even just uh, poker players that talk to me generally about tournaments I think to be honest a lot of people look at this the wrong way they think if they're playing a 100 runner field and they get down to let's say 10 left that they're 90% of the way to winning the tournament whereas in reality um, I think it's more correct to think of that you're only halfway there if you've gone from 100 down to 10 uh, you've got 90% of the field gone but to get from 10 to 1 you have to get rid of another 90% of the field to actually close out the tournament so you're really only halfway there not 90% of the way there Yeah to elaborate on that or give us kind of a pretty cool analogy we have Dan Wilson Dr Dan Wilson in the studio again and uh, and he's got a uh, kind of a way of looking at this that might help An analogy I kind of saw straight away from having a physics background was um between the half-life of uh, radioactive elements um, because there's well in, in, in physics if you have a radioactive substance it will take a certain amount of time depending on what that substance is for half of its sample to disappear so hence why like places like Chernobyl and whatnot are, are long no-go areas because it takes a long time for a certain radioactive substances to disappear so a half-life determines is, is a certain uh, given thing for a radioactive substance and it, say if it has a half-life of five years that means after five years half of the sample has disappeared there's 50% of it left after another five years there's 25% of it left after another five years 12.5% and so on and so on you'll never get down to nothing left and in tournament poker a similar thing that happens is it'll take you from getting from say a thousand player field down to 500 to double your stack that's half the players gone you can count that as a half-life and then you'll get down to 250 players that's another half-life 125 another half life and this is the each amount of time it takes for you to double your stack and um, so in a thousand player field it'll take you like four half lives to get down to 64 players which is like you think okay I'm down to 64 players I'm really getting there now I'm really close but if you think about it it's going to take you another four half lives to get to 32 16 8 then 4 so even just to get down to four handed it's going to take you another four half lives so you're only half of the way to even getting forehanded, never mind to winning the tournament, which will take another two because you'll need to get up the heads up and then to win it. That's two more half-lives. And Dan, you made another good point earlier about how uh, in that situation, if you're a professional player and you have an edge, your edge against the bigger field, the bigger proportion of the guys who aren't going deep is higher. So again, it's even tougher. Once you get down to that kind of denser, smaller field, chances are there's a better quality of opponent out there. Yeah, exactly. So your first four half-lives are probably going to be uh, a lot easier to get through than your last four or six as there will be in a thousand player field there's going to be six left after you get down to 64 players because it's only not only but mostly good players left and your edge is diminished considerably so yeah I guess one way you can look at it is like if you you, you talk about it at half life and if you were an average player it means that half of the time you would bust and the other half of the time you're, you're getting to that point mm-hmm. where you've doubled your stack that would be your expectation but if you're an above average player obviously you're, you're going to do that more than half the time but exactly. maybe at the start your expectation of getting through the first half life might be 60-70% but by the end you're saying it's it's more or less coming down to 50% exactly yeah exactly it'll have diminished to such a point that 
unrecognisable yeah. so there you go poker players stop bemoaning your hard luck and all the crossbars you're having and start thinking in half lives well Dan I hope you have a really good time abroad don't spend all your winnings and maybe get yourself over to Vegas for some of the series that we'll, we'll have to see about that maybe you, you, I know, you were the last Irishman standing last year you have to I know you have to keep up the record yeah it's, it's, I really want to but it'll depend it just depends where we are at that point we might be back somewhere around Asia so if we are I just won't bother but like uh, hopefully hopefully We'll see how things well, go. Well, listen, wherever in the world you happen to be, I hope you keep up the, the run good. Um, and <laughs> eventually maybe get back to studying astrophysics or contributing something in that in that area <laughs> yeah, as well. eventually. <laughs> Some, soon enough, I'd say. We're joined now by poker player Chris Dowling. Chris, you're a cash player. You're a PLO player. You play tournaments. You run a casino. You've been a tournament organiser. You wrote for the Daily Star. You obviously have all these different strings to your bows when it comes to poker. Does that help you keep it interesting? Um, it probably does, yeah. Now that you say it like that, um, if you had asked me beforehand, I probably wouldn't have been a reel off all them. But yeah, it probably does, yeah. Well, that's because you're very modest. <laughs> I wouldn't be known for being modest, no. Uh, you also won the Irish Live Poker Rankings in 2013, uh, and I know you've been up there other years as well. Um, what do you attribute your live success to? It, it wasn't. It's not by design. Like it's. It's just. I think I go to a lot of festivals. I'd consider myself a reasonably hard worker in poker. Do go to a lot of things, you know. I'd um, put in the hours, so therefore I'm at the festivals. I'm playing the tournaments. I'm playing the cash games, and uh, that year I won it. I happened to go deep in a couple of the larger. The the structure was different that year, and I happened to go deep in a couple of the larger entrant tournaments, and that propelled me up the rankings pretty quickly. And then, of course, when I got close, I I went after it and. Myself, Mick McCluskey were were kind of heads up. For yeah, I remember Mick was chasing you down. He was he was. I don't think he'll ever forgive you for pipping him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he was he was really unlucky to be honest. Um, and tell me now, uh, the obviously the balance between the the cash. You you look at a cash game, maybe you know instead of a side game, you don't you don't play like the turbo side events. You'd be much more looking at okay, is there a juicy cash game I can get into PLO or maybe Holem as well? Um, why did you make that decision early on? Like, was it always that it, they just looked like there was more money to be made in those games, or was it more the, the the instantaneous action, the satisfaction of winning a big pot? Is is there something about the structure of cash games that gave you a bigger buzz? I I I wouldn't be able to put my finger on it. Sometimes I'd overlook a, ca- um, a main event for a cash game. Um, it's it's like for me to win a large amount of money, like the most, you know the. Probably the best chance I have of doing that is winning a big tournament or finishing in the top three of a big tournament. But to make a living playing poker, definitely the best way of doing it is playing cash games. Like I mean, there's no doubt about that in my eyes. I remember you said to me once at the UKIPT, which you final tabled, I think, uh, over in London. Uh, you said something which, which was very interesting, and show, I, th- I thought it showed a great self awareness about your game. You said that you were much better in bigger tournaments where players are more worried about busting than in you know smaller side events where people don't really care. Uh, could you elaborate on that point maybe um, yeah I think like I'd, I'd, I'd hate to say where you know I do better against better players because that's definitely not the case um, I would say that I my best attribute is probably taking chips off weaker players and not getting busted out by them and then when it goes to the bigger tournaments I haven't done very well in, in, in very big tournaments like most of my success has been like the 1k kind of size buy in where you get mostly recreational players to be honest 
But um, but you've had a lot of deep runs in those. Like you've 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 made a lot of final tables in 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 those size tournaments. And and as Dara said, you know the reason for that is maybe because you're putting pressure on those guys who maybe the one k buy-in is the very top of what they would play for. And now they they're really worried about you know you're bluffing a lot, but they don't really want to you know call you on that where they might call you in a two hundred event. Yeah, well, I'm certainly playing way more hands than it would be like in in the little experience I have in EPTs and stuff. Where I found myself playing very tight. You know, I'm one of those guys at that level. Mm. Whereas in the UKPTs, very comfortable with the buy-in, very comfortable with the, you know, with the bubble, with the pay jumps, you know, all the way up until really until the final table is where I'd really be thinking about pay jumps. I wouldn't really be thinking about it anywhere else, you know, at any stage in the tournament. Um, I, I think you find out with a lot of players, though. Yeah, there's an old, or it's not that old, but it's been around for a couple of years, this sort of uh, polemic between the dreamers and the cowards. And I know you would put yourself much more in that dreamer camp, maybe Doak and I are cowards. Um, I, I guess for, for, for those of you at home, that's more of a, a distinction between players who are nittier with their bankrolls and players who maybe take bigger shots and go for it. Um, you know, that dreamer kind of outlook, you know, how would you defend that against us? Say we were having an argument about that right now. Yeah, well... Um I don't know. I mean, I've never been afraid of going broke for start-offs. I'm petrified of going broke. So that, that yeah, that immediately gets me, yeah. you know, that puts us in a different camp. I can't afford to go broke. Yeah, well, I can't afford to be broke. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I could go back to work if I wanted to, you know. I mean, it's, there's always an option there. I could go back. I know I, I could go and get myself a caddy van in the morning. And yeah, no one would hire me. Put up flyers and, and, you know, go back doing alarms or something like that, you know. I'm pretty sure I could, I could go back into the workplace if I had to. But, like, for me... Being involved in poker meant that I had to earn more money than I would have earned if I was working. Okay. You know, because I left a, a reasonably good job to do this. So therefore, you know, I'm not really interested in just kind of... Sure, you're, you're not there okay to grind out a kind of a, like, no. oh, make my few hundred a week. It's more about taking on those big shots, having one of those marquee results once a year. Well, there's plenty of weeks I would have just taken a couple of hundred, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> plenty of months, I would have been glad to be up a couple of hundred. But like no, you know, I I I am. Um, I think shot taking is fine. I mean, plus you got to remember too that, I mean, like every decision you make in poker, is, you know, you should be making it like any business. It should be positive. But you know, I enjoy playing the game as well. And I, if I was working and my primary income was something else, then I would still sit down and play tournaments or cash games that, you know, mathematically you could argue that I shouldn't be in them. But it's still something I enjoy. It's still something I like doing. I probably, I probably shouldn't go. And, and stay in certain hotels that I want to stay in either mathematically but it's still something I enjoy it's something I want to do there's loads of different things in your life that you can sure. do you probably should aren't. never enter uh, re-entry tournaments I think either because your, your record <laughs> when, when you know you can rebuy immediately I've just seen you blow up so many times it's brilliant I love being at your table yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe, it com- maybe it comes back to the other players aren't are as worried about going broke yeah. yeah, maybe so, maybe so. Maybe the freeze-out suit me better, all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you, you come from a very sporting background. Um, I, know, I know you played a lot of Gaelic football, and I remember once you were kind enough to drive me back from some tournament and we were talking about uh, changes that you could make to make poker more interesting, and you said you'd like to see tackling intr- introduced to poker. <laughs> 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 I wonder if you could elaborate on that. Uh, it used to be, uh, I don't know, it used to be a phrase I used to come up with that if this was a football match, I reckon I'd be getting booked about now. <laughs> <laughs> you can't really do it in poker, you know. Well, Ro- but, uh, you, did, you did to Ross Johnson. Oh, that he, was... He, he, he's, <laughs> he's, he's still out there nursing a long-term injury. He won't thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> no, well, you know, obviously, you know, the, the argument is constantly made, is poker a sport? And it's not, well, you know, some people might say it is a sport. Some people will say it's a game. Some people say it's a mind game that has a lot of aggressive sporting kind of nuances to it. Like, where would you place it in that context? Well, I don't think it's a sport anyway. Uh, for me, a sport has to be some sort of, you know, actual skill, be it 
throwing a dart into a board even or even the darts guys are getting sport I think I think I think darts is a sport I really do and I really think poker is along the same lines as chess which is should never be a sport in my eyes okay yeah, I, I kind of think it, it it depends on where you draw the line. I saw a piece that uh, I think Nick Welthall wrote, and he said that the dictionary definition of sport said that it has to involve, involve um, some degree of physical exertion. Now, by that uh, measure, I think some things that are recognised as sports already, like maybe pool or snooker or darts, might be already treading the line. So, well, I think it, I think it has the same thing as like firing a gun. If you're just going to be really still and fire a gun at a target, you, there's, obviously there's a lot of visual acuity or whatever going into that. But is that is that any different to really spotting that this is a good time to like pile all in? Um, well, I, I I think that firing a gun and throwing a dart and playing snooker, like there is, it is physical. I mean, you are using the, there's a certain level of strength. I mean, even if you stand on a, dar- a dart and play 11, 11 um, sets. I mean, it's you know, it's demanding. Like, ask any dart thrower. Oh, they're f- they're fine athletes, those guys. <laughs> well, okay, fair enough. This is like cr- cricketers like me who are just desperate to be called sportsmen in some other way because they don't get called it when they play cricket. No, so. well, cricket would definitely be a sport in my book as well. Like, it, but uh, no, I, I I don't think we'll ever see poker called a sport. It's just a game, and and uh, some people play it better than others. Yeah, for what it's worth, I, I, I happen to agree with you. Uh, you, you another thing that makes you pretty unusual in Irish poker, too, is that uh, you're very much a family man. Uh, you're married and you have kids, whereas most of the guys who are trying to make their living from the game uh, don't have those kind of responsibilities. Uh, do you find it tough to balance the two? Uh, well, it's a big commitment from my wife when I go away for a long time, you know. Like, I, mean, I remember going to Vegas in 2009 for the best part of a month, and she said to me when I came back, you're more than welcome to go anytime you like, but... The next time you go, you're bringing the kids with you, <laughs> <laughs> so, and and that's the, in the case. But I'm definitely more balanced now than I was. Um, I don't go to everything anymore, uh, and like even I done a trip last year. We were in um, in Prague, in Amsterdam, in Paris, and like during the week. I came home. Like I flew home twice. I remember that we were playing that tournament together in Paris, and you you came home and went back out again for day two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I wouldn't have done that years ago. I would have played every single thing. Would have done every hour at the cash table. Whereas now I recognise it a bit more. So I'd, I'd, if it's not you know if there's nothing on or if it suits me, I'd rather spend the money, come home on the flight, come back over again. You know, d- just take up a bit of slack there in, in midweek or whatever. And what do the kids think of it? Do you like? Would you talk poker with with them, or is that just like kind of too weird? They're a little bit young, to be honest. Okay. At the moment, yeah. They what know age? you're a poker player, though. Oh yeah, yeah. They know yeah. I play cards. Yeah. What ages yeah. are they? Um, six and seven. Oh, well, yeah. nearly six and eight. Sean will be eight soon. Well, they definitely have a sense of something. Then you know, they, I'm sure you play a bit of snap with them across the kitchen table. Well, th- to be honest with you, they play uh, Chinese on the iPad. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. That's the next generation. That's the generation we really have to be yeah, afraid of. Yeah. yeah. Last summer, you decided you were going to get into the casino game, the Loft Casino. Uh, whereabouts is that? Yeah, it's a casino in Nace. Um, it's a small club, but it's um, it's pretty busy. Uh, we've tournaments five nights a week at the moment, and uh, we've cash game pretty much every night. But, is yeah. it just poker? Well, we have roulette and blackjack as well, but it's be mainly concentrating on poker. Okay, and what kind of tournaments could people expect to see at that? There's everything from 25... There's a 10 euro rebuy on a Saturday... And um, there's uh, our big game is seventy euro, but uh, you the the schedule does change from time to time, so you, you get it on our website, which is the Loft Casino Club. Com. And can people expect the pleasure of playing with Chris Dowling at that? I'm there a good bit, yeah. You I'm are? A good bit, yeah. Are you there behind the cage? Dealing with all the money? Well, sometimes I'm there trying to win back an overlay, but I'm, <laughs> I'm there a good bit anyway. I'm trying to hand out tickets down the street, I'd say, yeah, to try and get yeah. people into the tournament. Exactly. Well, look, 
Thank you very much. Uh, we do have a quiz because this is our new tradition. We're going to try and quiz people. So, uh, best of luck. Seven questions. Okay, go for it. Chris Dowling's quiz. Who won the first series of Late Night Poker? Um, going to have to rush you. I know the answer to this. I know this answer is wrong. Will I'm we say Devilfish. Correct. Straight, on the, straight away, he's on the board. Uh, which Irish player is final tabled an EPT, a WSOP, a W Coop, a Scoop, and the Sunday Million. Must be Tompkins, is it? It's Tompkins. He's two from two. Wow! How many starting hand combinations are there in PLO? Is it A one hundred eighty thousand nine hundred and fifty, B two hundred seventy thousand seven hundred twenty five, or C three hundred forty eight thousand one hundred eighty? That's an easy one. C. It's B, it's 270,725. The PLO expert. We finally got him. We got him. We got him. No, that, that includes everything. Which two Irish players won W Coop events in 2013? Do I get a half point for one? Maybe. We'll think about that. Gavinator won one. He did. Gavin O'Rourke. And the other one was... Um, was it John O'Shea? It wasn't John. It was Andy Grimison in the, I think it was the Six Max um, shootout. shootout. That's yeah. right. Yeah, oh, yeah, I should have yeah. known that. Which Poker Hall of Famer has the catchphrase, may all your cards be live and your pots be monsters? No idea, but I'm going to throw a guess. It's not Brunson, is it? It's not. It's Mike Sexton. According to the Hendon mob, you've gotten heads up 10 times. <laughs> How many second place finishes do you have? Eight. Correct. Eight times. Roughly two years ago, on March 4, 2013, you wrote your most recent blog. What was its title? Blogging when you're winning. Yeah, you see what we did there? (laughs) 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 Very good. I think that might have been five out of seven. That's pretty good. Maybe maybe when we get the recount, it'll be four out of seven. Five and a half, maybe. Yeah, that's a pretty good effort. Um, well look thank you very much Chris no I really enjoyed that Thanks, that was guys. good fun Thanks Chris Playing Us Out is a really cool track from Dublin reggae band After the Ibis featuring the brilliant Claire Kennedy and the Irish poker player John Mason they'll be playing Sweeney's beside the Mercantile this Friday the 27th of March so if you're in that part of town go check them out with lyrics that most Sunday grinders can relate to this is Rumours on Fire
Thank you to Kieran, Dan, Fergal and of course Chris. If you want to check out the current standings in the Irish Life Poker Rankings, you can find them on our website at thechiprace.com. Join us next Monday when our guests will be Theatre Director and Poker Pro Kevin Williams, Irish sit-and-go wizard and up-and-coming Twitch star Finton Hand, and celebrated poker writer and author of The Professor, The Banker and The Suicide King, Michael Craig. Until then, from the two Dars and myself, good night and good luck. <laughs>